I love you all so much. I'm sorry I missed last week. I got sick and oh my gosh. I'm, but I understand that Pastor Bill did just a fantastic job of uh, sharing out of Colossians how, how we are thankful. And, and uh, I'm just so excited. I, being uh, home and, and kind of sick is, is no fun. No fun. But I'll tell you, it gave me a lot of chance to think about you and to thank, thank the Lord for you and to, to consider, I know I say this to you all the time, I, I cannot say it enough, how much I love you. It is such a, it's such a privilege to be a part of this church and be a, a part of, of, of all of our lives as we grow into the Lord. How many of you, I've asked this at every service and I've been astonished, really. Um, we are on the 21st chapter there's only 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. For those of you that thought we were never finished, well, we're really close. But how many of you, would you mind showing me by hand, how many of you were here when we started in Revelation chapter 1? Amazing. Uh, it's, that's the same in every service. That is absolutely, utterly amazing to me. Thank you so much for your faithfulness to our Lord and to his word. I remember I started off in telling you that it's not going to be an easy book to study. There will be a bumpy road ahead of us. And sure enough, we went through some difficult times as we saw the judgment of God fall upon this earth and wondering, what about our friends? What about those of us we know and love? What will happen to them? And, 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 and so we tried to, to make sense of it all and tried to put an urgency in your life, in my life, of what we are to be like. What, what, what is our purpose on this earth? Which really gave me a, a lot of, to ponder this particular couple of weeks. Um, I, I thought this through, and, and let me do this before I get into the message. I, I wanted to, to just make this statement to us. For those of us who have trusted in Christ as our Lord and Savior, and do not understand that, that we are just simply passing through this, this earth we now live, that this is not our home. For those that, that don't seem to grasp that, they usually end up trivializing the, the purpose in their lives. What am I alive? What am I here for? Well, it's clear you and I are here to, to present the gospel to, the, to the, the world in which we live, to be able to impact anyone and everyone that we come in contact with, it, to trivialize the, the purpose of our lives, no matter what it is that we do, is, is foolishness. And so not to understand that we're simply passing through, that this is not our home, we usually end up hindering the power within the church. You see, the, the Lord God has given us a, a, the Holy Spirit to, to empower us as a body of believers, to do great and mighty things in His name. What those things are, only God knows. But to... to to not understand that, that this is not our home, that this is just a place that we're passing through, and to put all of our worth upon it usually minimizes the power within the church. Because what we end up doing is we end up becoming absorbed with this world in which we live. And the results that we, we, we find on this earth, I, I've, I've lost this, or I've, I've, that is gone, or this, that, and the other, and and we want to be blessed here. And, I, and I'm here to say to you that by the authority of the Word of God, not my Word. I mean, how many of you heard this statement? And, and in every service, many heard, 
How many of you have heard, this person is so heavenly mindly that they're no what? Yeah, you've all heard it. So heavenly minded that he's of no earthly good. And that's a bunch of baloney. The, the truth of the matter, we are to be heavenly minded. James says in James chapter 4, in verse 4, he states this about what he calls the earth, this worldliness in which we live. And he, and he, and he, and he makes this statement with no uncertain terms. He says, you adulteresses. He says, do you not know, James 4, 4, do you not know, he says, that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? He goes on to say, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. Strong enough? The Bible makes it clear that you and I, believers, we are to focus in on heaven Paul, my, my hero of heroes in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, makes this statement. He says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Paul is saying, don't focus in on here. Don't lose your focus. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. And so, we are to be heavenly minded. Why? Well, in, the, in the, the epistle of John, in 1 John chapter 2, John makes the statement of why. Why we are to long for heaven. He says it is a preservative against sin. He says, look, do not, listen to what he says, much like James, much like Paul, John says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. He says, if anyone loves the world, the, the love of the Father is not in them. And then he goes on to say, what is the love of the world? He says, for all that's in the world, he says, the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. He says, these things are not from the Father. They are from the world. And then John warns of what we are going to study today. What we studied the last time I was with you out of the book of Revelation in the 20th chapter. He says the world is passing away. Well, last time I gathered with you, we found out that the, the world fled away from the presence of God. And they were to, the world in the universe was not to be found anymore. That's John chapter, I mean, excuse me, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. But John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, the world is passing away and also its lusts. But, he says, the one who does the will of God, that is the person who will live forever. And so we've come to a place where we found last time we gathered together in chapter 20 that all unbelievers... All fallen demons, Satan, the beast, the false prophet, they all have been sentenced to be tormented forever in a place that is called the lake of fire. And to top that off, as I already mentioned, this present universe in which we now know, earth and heaven itself fled away, it says in verse 11, and no place was found for them. And now we've come to chapter 21 where God will now create a new heaven and a new earth for his followers to, of all things, dwell with him 
forever. Read with me, please. Revelation chapter 21, the first eight verses, verses 1 through 8. I want you to know that to try to explain the new heaven and the new earth is very, very difficult, if, if not impossible. But our Lord gives us dimensions and our Lord gives us uh, things to uh, try to understand what heaven is going to look like, what this new Jerusalem in which we're going to dwell will look like. But it's going to be hard to explain. We're going to have to see it. One day we will be walking on streets of gold. I've had a couple of friends that died in the last few weeks. And uh, I'm jealous for them. Be a nice place to be in heaven. But I like here on earth. I like being with you. Let's read with you, please. Uh, Verses 1 through 8. Revelation chapter 21. John says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first eight earth passed away. And there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And then he says in verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And then he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and I am the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. And he who overcomes shall inherit these things And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, and murderers, and immoral people, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But I don't know why verse 8 is in there, to be honest with you, except that I can speculate that our Lord God is just reaching, reaching, reaching out for those that have not accepted him. Giving them another opportunity to see the difference between heaven and this place called the second death, a lake of fire and brimstone. And so we will plead with you again today. If you do not know the Lord, we will plead with you. Please, please give your heart to him. But this message is more for those of us who do believe. This is a message to challenge us to reach out to this world in which we live. To to stop thinking that this is our home and start thinking about the, the world, the earth, I mean, excuse me, the heavenly things that lie ahead of us. Let's pray. Please, Father, please bless us. Lord, uh, We're a church of people that just obviously love one another.
We pray that you will bless us, Father. That you will uh, allow the the message to be clear. By that, Father, I, I beg of you, as I do every week, that you would move me aside. That I would not hinder anything and everything that you want to say to every single one of us, myself included. As I pray, Father, that you might open up our eyes, that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Oh, teach us, dear Father. And if we need to be convicted, would you please do that, Father? And if we need to be comforted, that as well, dear Father. Whatever it is that we need, we give ourselves to you. Teach us, Father, from your holy and most precious word, we pray. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. In verse 1, John makes this statement. He says, I saw, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He said the first heaven and the first earth, they, they, they passed away. Yeah, he said that last chapter, last time we gathered together in verse 11. And then he said there is no longer any sea. First and foremost, the word new in the Greek is K-A-I-N-O-S. It means something brand new, more. It means something that has never been seen before. Certainly this will be new. Because the earth today as we know it, this earth, which is not going to be the earth that he is now forming for us in heaven itself, is covered mostly with water. And yet he says there, there is no longer any sea. There will be a dramatic change. The extent of that change only God knows. But there is water mentioned in the next chapter. In chapter 22, look ahead at, at verses 1 and 2. John says again that he saw something. He said, and he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations." If you remember, way back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, mankind sinned. Satan came before Eve and, and tempted her with, with the fruit of the tree. He says, are you allowed to eat from every? And she says, no, we can eat from everything but the tree that's in the middle of the garden we cannot eat of. And, and, then, and then he tempted her and she ate. And then, and then Adam ate as well. And then God took them, it says in Genesis 3, out of the garden took them away, he said, so they should not eat from it and live forever. Genesis chapter 3, verses 22, 23, and 24. Well, now we see here in the 22nd chapter that there is the water of life. It is flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, and it is watering, it appears, the tree of life for all of us to partake, for food as well as for healing. And so we see there is water. There is the water of life flowing by the tree of life. The next stage in John's vision in chapter 21, in verse 2, is that John now sees the new, 
the new heaven and the new earth. But now he sees in verse 2 the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down, he says, out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. The dimensions are, are given in verse 16, we did not read, which leads us to believe this is an actual city. In verse 16, we see that, that this city that comes down is laid out as a square, it says. Its length is as great as its width. And, the measured, the, and he measured the city with a rod, 1,500 miles. Its length, its width, and its height were all equal. This will be the third city named Jerusalem. The first Jerusalem is, is the city of David, the, the, the city that is currently existing in Palestine. The second Jerusalem was restored, Jerusalem restored, where Christ ruled during the millennium. But that had fled away, no more. This Jerusalem, the third new Jerusalem, does not belong to the first creation. It is the new eternal city that has come down from heaven, prepared by God. We are reminded in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, as well as John chapter 14, verses 1, 2, and 3, who the builder of this city is. Hebrews 10, 11 says, He was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. John says that Jesus says these words in John chapter 14, verses 1, 2, and 3. Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me, Jesus says. He goes on to say, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, he says, I would have told you. Now listen. He says, For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, he says, and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. For where I am, there you may be also. This city being prepared for us by God. Even now, as we speak, He is preparing this city for us. Verse 3 tells us something much more importantly. And that is, this is a place where God dwells. This is a place where He will, it tells us, dwell among us. So this heavenly city shall come down out of heaven and is a place where God will dwell. And He has designed it. He has built, He has architected this city for us. And it is, as verse 2 says, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Most commentators say this to mean that the city will be extremely beautiful. Sparkling in its beauty. Adorned as a bride for her husband. The word adorned means, in Greek, K-O-S, MOS, it's, it's we get the word cosmetics from it. The city is like a bride in all of her beauty. I want to say something to you. I've, never, I've done a lot of weddings. One of my favorite things to do is a wedding. When I was really sick this past couple weeks, I, uh, I made a promise to Christine and, and uh, Brent that I would marry them. They're on their honeymoon right now. And... Um, you talk about sparkling beauty. When Christine walked with her father towards Brent, it was amazing. And I've never done a wedding where the bride wasn't just 
absolutely beautiful. Brent asked me when we were standing there, what do I do? How do I hold my hands? I says, it doesn't matter. He says, what do you mean? I says, as soon as Christine comes, no one's going to look at you for the rest of the <laughs> For the rest of the service, I said, you can pick your nose if you want to. <laughs> Made them laugh. All I wanted to do was make them relax. But the fact of the matter is, I said, probably the only one that will be looking at you when she walks down will be your mom. <laughs> she was so beautiful. And our Lord uses that picture for us, that this wonderful city that comes down from heaven will be adorned like a bride made ready for her husband. Extremely beautiful. I mean, only we, we can't imagine. We really can't. Well, verse 3 tells us of its purpose, this new place. I heard a loud voice, John says in verse 3, from the throne saying, Behold, watch, the tabernacle of God is among men. Folks, that's something to hold on to. Three promises come out of that. Number one, he'll dwell among us. We shall be his people. And God himself, God himself will be right in our midst. We'll finally see our Lord as he truly is. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, John writes, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. You know, the true joy of our eternal existence is this. We will finally see Jesus Christ in all of his majesty. All the songs that we sing, talking about the majesty of our Lord, will come to life when we are there in front of him. And then watch what he'll do for us all. The rest of this, these verses are, are magnificent. In verse 4, with one wonderful verse, God wipes away all of our past hurts, all of our past pain, sorrows, deformities, whatever. It says in verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning. There will no longer be any crying or pain. These first things have passed away. God shows his compassion, his love, his care for each and every single one of us who know and love him. He wipes away all of our sorrows once we ex those things that we've experienced here on earth. This was foretold in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 65 verse 17 tells us, Behold, I will create a new heaven and a new earth, just as we read here in Revelation. The former things will not be remembered they will not even come to mind. They will be wiped away. And note, in verse 5, the one who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. Not only the heavens and the earth, but for each and every single one of us, our pain, our sorrows, they'll all be gone. Not even a memory. We will be new creatures. The one who makes this promise is the one who... Verse 5, sits on the throne. And note, this is one of my favorite places in all of these eight verses. Note, his words are faithful and they are true. We are told in Luke chapter 21, verse 33, 
It says, though the heavens and the earth will pass away, our Lord's words will not pass away. True, there's going to be an end to this universe, the earth and the universe as we now see it. But not, there will not be an end to the truth that God reveals to his people. His words shall be today and forever, faithful and true. Which, which gets to the very core of, of why we gather together, the very core of who you and I are in our faith, the very essence of our dependence upon the Word of God to, to teach us, to guide us, to, to, to bring us to, to this, this life that we now live, to understand who we are and who He is and how we are to live. These words are faithful and true. And whether churches or pastors or mankind itself understands and or believes that truth today, it is true. God's word will forever be faithful and true and shall always be our guide to eternal life. And then in verse 6, our Lord states these three words, It is done. These words are reminiscent of what Jesus Christ said from the cross. Remember, he says, it is finished. In John chapter 19, verse 13, Jesus uttered those words. At the cross, Jesus' words, it is finished, mark the completion of his payment for mankind's sin and our eternal souls. And here, in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 6, the words, it is done, marks the end of the curse upon this world and its sin. It's over with. They're done. It is time for all things to be new. And so as to remind us once again who is making this, this proclamation. Jesus again says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end which is how he introduced himself to John and to us when John was, was a prisoner from Rome on the Isle of Patmos. When Jesus Christ came to him in the first chapter, the eighth verse, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am, he says, the one who is and who was and who is to come again. I am, he says, these two words, the Almighty Oh, Amen. Doesn't that, doesn't that stir your soul? This Jesus Christ whom you and I know is the, the one who is and was and is to come. He is the Almighty. And so in verse 5, what he says is faithful and true. And in verse 6, what he does is to complete the work. It is done. In other words, you and I can count on these things to be so. Because he is, as he says, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the Almighty. Isaiah in the Old Testament tells us in Isaiah 44, 6, There is no God beside him. That same phrase is applied to Jesus Christ in the 22nd chapter. Listen to me, listen to me in, in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 22 of Revelation. Behold, he says, I am coming quickly. That doesn't mean soon in time. That means suddenly, without, with a burst. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. 
And then he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And with that phrase, Jesus Christ applies to himself more proof that he is full deity, that he is equal with God the Father. And what he talks of and promises shall be realized. And all of this, in verse 6, we are told, comes without cost. This verse ought to take you and me back to the wonderful Old Testament verse found in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1, 2, and 3. Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, verse 1, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. He asks this question in verse 2. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And why do you spend your wages for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, he writes. Eat what is good. This is what is good. Delight yourself in abundance, he says. Incline your ear to me, he says. Listen so that you may live, that is eternally live. And I will make an an everlasting covenant with you, he promises, according to the faithful mercies shown to David. How can you and I buy without cost? Verse 7 tells us what the cost is. It says that we who overcome, we've studied that word many a time. I remember Rob Selleck gave a great message on, on 1 John chapter 5. We who overcome, it says, shall inherit these things. I will be his God and he will be my son or daughter. Remember, we overcome by our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. Let me me read to you again 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. It says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. It is our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so verse 7 states that we who overcome shall inherit these things. God says, I will be your God and you shall be my children. Eternal life is given to you all of you who overcome, that is to come and trust in Jesus Christ by faith. And we'll be called his children and we will drink the water of life without cost. I don't want to dwell too much on verse 8. I'm not even sure why it's there. Except perhaps to to explain to us the consequences for not trusting in Christ. In verse 8, Jesus Christ gives a warning to unbelievers once again, saying at the end of verse 8 that their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The consequences of, of unbelief is awesome indeed. Needless to say, I believe God wants you to realize you who do not trust in him as yet. You hear that voice in your heart and you keep pushing it away. We beg of you, come. Make no mistake about it. 
he again warns, there is an eternal hell to shun, just as there is, is an eternal heaven to rejoice in. In the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at heaven and try to explain it best we know how. We'll talk about its dimensions. We'll talk about what the gates look like and the streets look like and, and all of that. But let me just say to you that we can talk about it all we want, but we'll never really be able to understand till we stand on those streets, till we see our Lord face to face. I can just say to, this, say to you this, in verse 11 it says, The brilliance of heaven was like a very costly jewel. In other words, can't explain it can't explain it. Dear Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the one who, who is and who was and who is to come again. We pray, Father, that, that you will bless the ministries and the lives of the people of this church, that this is not our home. We we recognize fully that our home is in heaven. And so that, that statement that says those who are heavenly mindly are of no earthly good, let us not fall prey to that. Let us set our mind on the things above. And so, Lord, bless us, please. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Father, but hears that call in their heart, please let them respond to it, Father. After the service, if they would, come on up and, and tell one of us who are up here uh, of their decision. And for all of us here who know you, Father, may we live our lives accordingly. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for Bill now. In Jesus' precious name, amen.